middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may call us mildly entertaining. Some may say we're wildly unqualified. I say we're exactly where we're supposed to be talking about the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Uh, this is episode number 33 of the Keeper of the Games podcast. Uh, Shockers, Jayhawk, Wildcat fans, I'm warning you, you may want to sit this one out. You did not have a good week. We're going to get to it all this week. Blake Cripps, Tommy Castor has surrendered the keys. He'll be playing the role of the dad today, allowing his 16-year-old son to test drive his 70 Camaro while he's learning to drive. (laughs) Will you get the show back in one piece in about an hour, Tommy? You know, I don't know. I'm just excited about the fact that it's kind of like a night off. I can kind of sit back. I can put my feet up on the desk. I can enjoy because you're hosting tonight. And you can also blame Weston Mills for this happening. Uh, Weston will be playing the role of the YouTuber with his camera out, watching the crash happen and doing nothing to stop it. That's a perfect intro because I was thinking what my response was going to be. And I was thinking, "Mm, I'm just going to sit around and watch this train wreck. It'll be fantastic. Uh, Yeah, you know, we'll we'll see how it works. Tommy thinks that this is a good idea. I didn't ask for this responsibility. He texted me again this week and... We'll see what his opinion of this is in about 60 to 90 minutes. Couple of superlatives, episode 33. This is what, episode three of season two, episode two of season two. You can get all the details at cogsports.com. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and tune in. And if you dare, I'm told you can watch on Facebook or YouTube. Not that I would recommend that, but apparently we're (laughs) available there. Uh, On the show today, Chiefs to the Super Bowl, college basketball and the Wichita Whip Around. Uh, By the way, you can also follow us at CogPod on Twitter. We'll begin today, of course, with our top story. And I'm just warning you, it's going to be our top story next week, and it's going to be our top story the week after that. The Kansas City Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl, second straight AFC championship win, beating the Bills 38-24. Travis Kelsey, monster day. 13 receptions, 118 yards, two touchdowns, an NFL playoff record for catches in the playoffs by a tight end. Tyreek Hill, a 71-yard catch and run, nine receptions, 172 yards. Their average victory margin in their previous eight victories for the Chiefs, four points. This was a return to dominance for the Chiefs offense. It was fantastic to see. I think the defense played well enough. I'd really bottled up Allen. The Bills' running game was not incredibly impressive. And the Chiefs offensively, at one point late in the first half, three consecutive drives, 21 points that were unanswered after trailing 9 to nothing. The 9 nothing start, I listened to the whole game. I didn't watch a second of this game. I listened to it all on the radio. And the 9 nothing start for Buffalo was the only part of the game that I didn't actually listen to. I was keeping track of it on my phone. Obviously, the special teams were a disaster for the Chiefs, but that was about the only thing that didn't work well for Kansas City. Tommy, this was a return to form for Patrick Mahomes. He looked completely healed up, like there was no injury. The offense was clicking, and not only that, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a major part of the offense. He returned for Kansas City. The offensive line 
did a fantastic job blocking up front. We've got something to talk about there on the injury front, too, for the offensive line. But all in all, offensively for the Chiefs, this was the performance we had been looking for for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Blake, I saw a prominent sports writer on social media call this the Petty Patrick Revenge Tour. And, <laughs> you know, I, I I would agree with that. You know, all week long, all we heard through from, you know, from the national media was how great the Bills were and how solid Josh Allen is and how <laughs> dynamic this Bills offense is. And you know what? The Bills offense has been really good for most of the season. And I'll admit, last week on this program, I, you know, and I've said it for a couple different weeks that I thought the Buffalo Bills were the toughest matchup for the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. Well, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the Kansas City offense came together. And, you know, I tweeted this, uh, I believe this wholeheartedly, that this Chiefs team just is built to come from behind. They always have, they always will. You know, the biggest knock on Kansas City all season long has been why aren't they beating teams by by more points? Why aren't they putting their their boots on the throats of the opponents and just blowing them out of the water. We all know they can, so why aren't they doing it? And I think it takes a little bit of adversity for this Chiefs team. I'm not saying they get bored at all, but it takes a little bit of adversity. It takes it takes their backs up against the wall a little bit to for maybe them to wake up. I don't exactly know what to call it, but that's exactly what happened. You know, McCole Hardman muffed that punt. It set up a goal-to-go situation for the Bills. They got in the end zone, and just like that, Kansas City down 9 nothing, really, really early. And then, you know, I don't know if you all saw the video that's been going around social media of the team rallying around McCole Hardman yes, and telling him, it's on hey, Twitter. It's a great video, Travis Kelsey, yeah. Patrick Mahomes, huge leadership. You know, th- there's a lot of game left. We've got a lot of time left to go out and win this game. And that's exactly what they did. And they didn't look back. They put their foot on the pedal and they took it all the way to the Super Bowl. And they're getting that Lamar Hunt trophy. They have it now back in Kansas City for another year. So I can't say enough good things about Kansas City. I know that we can get into the nitty gritty here in just a moment. But that's my my overall thought process is just how solid this team looked and how they made Buffalo look like a, just an absolutely pedestrian offense all game long you know i'm a little disappointed that neither of you started this whole thing with the old classic andy reed how about those cheese did you you see how he did that as usual after the uh the afc championship uh little ceremony or whatever you want to call it afterwards but uh, tommy i i think something that i think is so interesting um we're going to talk about that happened last week and then we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up this week uh you mentioned the 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 petty Pat tour. It really, I don't think it's just him. I think it's this whole team. And I think it's, I think the narrative that was pushed all week leading up to this and, and really prior to, you know, even before they played the the Browns was, Oh, that at this chief's team, they're just not the same team. They're only, they only beat so-and-so by six. They only beat so-and-so by four. They only beat so-and-so by seven. Uh, hold on, wake up. They well, they went fourteen and two. Should have been fifteen and one. They lost the last game only because they had the didn't even try. Team. And this team showed up to play to let the. I mean, have you ever seen a statement game in the AFC Championship? That's how absurd this team and this roster is. And I just don't understand why anybody continues to fuel the fire with these guys because you know we. I think there's there's often conversation right about how much do athletes actually care about that rhetoric that goes on this and that, you know, and, and I think overall it, it isn't a, a ton, 
But I think it's it's little little moments like that when you have a team that is so talented. And and I frankly do think I think I think this team was a little bit bored throughout the year. I mean, the talent you was buy just, into that. That was a big topic of conversations. All oh, this team is going to get it figured out in the playoffs, and they're just not trying. They know they don't have to run their full playbook. Do you buy yeah. into that? I mean, I, I I think it's a combination of a lot of things, right? Like, I do think there was some. Hey, they're not putting. Their, you know, they were not quite figuring out the end of the game scenario where they were taking the gas off the pedal a little bit. I think it was a combination of not wanting to show the playbook a little bit. And then a combination of they were, they were kicking teams ass in the first half, you know, of, of some of these games where they just went on cruise control. And I think it's hard in a sport that is so physical and that it is driven on pure athletic ability, um, you know, to maintain that level of intensity when you've just come out and whack somebody the first half. And, and, you know, that, I mean, that can be, 14, 17 points in the NFL. I mean, that, you know, while that's certainly not, you can't overcome, you can certainly overcome that. That's still a pretty dang good lead. That's a pretty good control for the NFL. So I think the the fact that these guys just had this fire fueled all week building up to this, you know, absolutely drove this game in part. And then of course, I mean, the other half of it, right. Is because I, I I did mention, look, I think there's only, only some of that matters so much. The other thing is let's, let's get real, right? Like they're playing for a Super Bowl. That's what they care. They don't care about shutting up the pundits. Um, They care about winning a Super Bowl. And this was the the next step in, in getting back. Um, But I do think, you know, those kind of things play a small uh, part in this. And as we get to, to talking about the upcoming matchup with the old Tampa Bay Buccaneers, did you guys catch today what the number four wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers happened to say about his speed versus uh, Tyreek Hills? No, I didn't. Would you enlighten us? So Scotty Miller went on, uh, I believe it was the Dan Patrick show. And he said that he thought he was, he's, he believes he's faster than Tyreek Hill. Now I don't want to play into what drives me nuts sometimes with the media and the clickbait stuff. So pro football talk, of course, puts out the article, Scotty Miller, you know, says he's faster than Tyree kill. If you watch the interview, he, he is over the top complimentary about Tyree kill and basically says like, look, I, you know, to play in the NFL, you have to believe you are the best at really everything that you sure. do. Right. And Scotty Miller is incredible fast. Uh, was uh, uh, I think he? I want to say he's from Toledo. He's from a Mac school. I'm almost positive on that. Was a Bowling guy Green. There. there you go, Bowling Green. But he, uh, I'm telling you, he's not faster than Tyreek Hill. <laughs> no, he had thir- he had 33 catches, 501 yards. I mean, he got a fine fine season, fine season in 2020. But yeah, that that's that's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, I got to <laughs> say that you know the the other person that has proclaimed that they are faster than Tyreek Hill is Adam Schefter, and I would take Adam Schefter, <laughs> I think, in a race with Tyreek Hill over Scotty Miller. That's for sure. Would you take Scotty Miller? Would you take Adam Schefter over Rich Eisen in a 40 yard dash race? Yes, absolutely. You I would. would. Yes, I uh, would. Rich Eisen is definitely getting up there. Speaking of running, I thought that it was really fantastic that the running game for Kansas City played such a vital role in the offense. Clyde edwards helaire had been out since week 15, got in the end zone, first ever playoff touchdown. Uh, Daryl Williams also had a nice day running the ball. His attempts were down, but he was the running back that the Chiefs seemed like they went to in the third fourth quarter when they were trying to go into a different gear in the offense 
the Bills obviously did a much better job defending the run because, I mean, what did Edwards Lair have? Like 150 yards against them in the first matchup. They He yeah. absolutely tore holes through the Bills. So they, they certainly changed things up. But Mahomes found the lanes. Um, you know, McCole Hardman had that 50-yard run. Uh, by the way, a bad foot concussion protocol. Uh, three touchdowns, no picks for Patrick Mahomes. Like the run game helps with that. And Tommy, I think that the, the biggest thing that I took away offensively was that not necessarily that the Chiefs have had trouble with like stepping on people's throats, like we've said, like my old co-host Paul Savage used to say, yeah, step on their throat, big boy. It, it, it's more the Chiefs did a better job in this game of changing gears in the offense, of understanding the time and the score and being able to run that four-minute drill, not just scoring fast or just playing when you have the entire playbook open. They did a great job and credit Andy Reid and this other guy that can't coach, Eric Bieniemy. He's never <laughs> going to get a head coaching job, apparently. Credit those two guys for being able to get the offense shifted down into a lower gear. You don't always have to have things cranked up at fifth or sixth gear. Sometimes you want to be methodical. Sometimes you want to take your time and make sure that you're getting five, six. You don't need the huge chunk play at that time of the game like the Chiefs had in the second half up by two scores against the Bills. You want to be able to run the clock a little bit. You want to establish the running game. And so I think that it was a better job, not necessarily of trying to, you know, put teams away. You don't always have to put teams away. The Chiefs did a better job shifting down the offense against the Bills in the AFC championship game. Yeah, without a doubt. Look, we know that this Kansas City team, you know, can can do the big play. They they've done it, you know, forever. Uh, just the the long, you know, pass down the field, Tyreek Hill just on a go route, and you know, ends up connecting with them, and and they they can score quickly. We we know that about Kansas City, but this was. This was an example of how this Chiefs team can put together sustained drives down the course of the field with that running game. And I got to give a huge shout out to Daryl Williams. Of course, we know Clyde Edwards Elaire was back. You know, he he was a big contributor, got into the end zone. But Daryl Williams in the playoffs has been spectacular. This is a third string running back that, you know, is uh, that was undrafted coming to Kansas City that has been waiting in the wings for a long time. If you think back to last year, it was was another D Williams that was the 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 darling of the playoffs for Kansas City that was Damian Williams but now with Clyde Edwards Hilaire hurt for the past couple of games of course Le'Veon Bell dealing with it with an injury in this last game they've they've relied on Daryl Williams to run the football in the game against the Browns. He ran 13 times for 78 yards. He had four catches and 16 yards, and he was a pivotal factor in that game. Then of course, in the bills game, it was more spot duty because Edwards Elaire was back, but he carried the ball 13 times for 52 yards and a score. So he, the chiefs have been leaning on him, relying on him, not only in the running game, but also in, in the passing game in the backfield. So hats off to Daryl Williams. And I would expect that we can, continue to see him contribute in the Super Bowl. The other thing I want to say, Blake, and this goes back to what you were talking about, about the play calling from Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, and I can't take credit for this sentiment. This was Sam Mellinger from the Kansas City Star who said this the other day when he said, and this is going back to the McCole Hardman situation, where he said that he wholeheartedly believes that Andy Reid calls specific plays for specific people in specific situations. And, you know, of course, McCole Hardman was hanging his head. He was really upset with 
himself after the muffed punt. I know Chiefs Kingdom, they weren't happy with him either. And then what does he do? He goes out and he scores a touchdown. Then he has another long pass play for 50 yards. So Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, specifically in my opinion, well, and in Sam Mellinger's opinion, drew that up for McCole Hardman to get him back into the game. And that's the genius of Andy Reid. And that's why people want to continue to play for teams like Kansas City. You know, another thing too, and, 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 you know, it's kind of a perfect segue because, you, you know, you talk about Daryl Williams, you talk about McCole Hardman, and those guys had fantastic games. And, and that's, you know, those pieces are, are so vital to, to what they do, right? But if you go back to the core three, right? Like if you look at Pat, Pat, Patrick Mahomes, which obviously I think Blake kind of led in with, the, with these stats 29 for 38, three touchdowns, uh, 325 yards. Tyreek Hill, nine catches for 172 yards and dropped that 40-yard <laughs> dime from, from Pat early in the game. Preposterous. Then, tra- then Travis Kelsey, 13 catches for 118 yards. I think we're to a point, and I'm going to give a shout-out to one of our loyal listeners, uh, Wichita firefighter by the name of Austin Leedy. Um, also, Mound nice. Builder. Thanks, Austin. Mound Builder alum, he had made a comment to me at one point, and and this is probably a – we don't need to get into this topic because this is a perfect offseason topic, but he thinks that really for the Chiefs, they should inherit every dime they can in, in Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey to keep those three together moving forward. And I think a game like this is a perfect example. You see that insane production from those three, and then – on the flip side, what that unlocks for, you know, you mentioned a, an undrafted uh, free agent in Daryl Williams to rush the ball, you know, very effectively. You know, uh, yes, McCole Hardman was an early early draft pick, but, you know, a guy who's really kind of fell into a number three, number four type role at times on this on this team to, to flourish because there is just has to be so much focus on those three who who produce at a high level, even with that focus that it just creates all this opportunity for other guys. So, um, you know, I, I think you're, you saw in this game, what folks had said, well, that's what we had seen out of the chiefs, but boy, we're just not seeing this down the stretch things, whether it was a matter of things finally clicked or they finally opened things up or they finally their you know, their interest is back into it. The Chiefs are here, and that's the team. That's the offense that's going to Tampa Bay uh, come next week. Obviously, we are going to get into a ton of Super Bowl 55 preview next week on the show. We're going to lead the show with it, obviously, as the Chiefs go to -to back-to-back Super Bowls, trying to be the first team to win back-to-back Super Bowls since, I believe, the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady Patriots in the early aughts of this millennium. So uh, some major history on the line. So uh, before we wrap up the Chiefs for this week, I wanted to get you guys any initial thoughts on Super Bowl 55 and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. For me, obviously, two really key injuries. Eric Fisher out with an Achilles injury. It's torn, reported by NBC Sports. He is out for NFL 55. And some people have said, you know, this stage of his career, might we have seen the last of Eric Fisher? That'll be another good offseason topic. But for sure, the Chiefs will not have him. I think he was ranked 
he was in the top 10 late in the year when they played on Sunday Night Football, the pro football focus ratings. He was like the seventh best tackle in all of the NFL, the highest rated offensive lineman at his position for Kansas City. Big loss. And then, of course, we haven't even really gotten to the defense yet with sacks from Legereus Sneed, Frank Clark, and Tenno uh, Passanio. But Legereus Sneed went out, went out with a concussion in that game, was evaluated for concussion protocol, did not return. I have not been able to find any up date on him obviously you would think with two weeks he would be able to come back but you know everybody's head is different just because Patrick got back in you know seven days doesn't necessarily mean that he'll get back in two weeks it, it doesn't equate like that every head injury every hit is different so those are the two big question marks that I have for Kansas City coming in because I do think that with Tom Brady's limited mobility Three sacks logged by the guys up front for Kansas City. I think putting pressure on Tom Brady will be big, um, but you, you've got to be got to have your front guys up there and able to rush the quarterback. So Snead's injury, and then obviously the offensive line without Eric Fisher, a huge, huge question mark and a huge hit for Kansas City going into Super Bowl Fifty Five. Yeah, you know, Blake, we we know now after that Bills game where the offense stands for Kansas City. I've got no doubt in my mind <laughs> yeah. how the how the Chiefs offense will perform. So I, I'm with you. I think the biggest question marks going into Super Bowl, uh, the Super Bowl will be, you know, what's going to be happening with the defense? What's going to be happening with the offensive line? It's not only Eric Fisher, it's also Mitchell Schwartz. And will Mitchell Schwartz be back? He hasn't played a game for Kansas City since I believe week seven was the last time he actually suited up and played for the Chiefs. Chiefs dealing with a, a variety of injuries. And so that's going to be the biggest question. How will Patrick Mahomes be protected, you know, in this game against the Buccaneers, you know, who have, uh, you know, pretty dominant defense. They, they played pretty well all season long on the defensive side of the ball. It's not just Tom Brady, you know, there in Tampa Bay, they've built themselves a pretty solid defense. So, so what's going to be happening as far as the protection is concerned, you know, if Eric Fisher, obviously Eric Fisher is going to be out assuming that that Achilles is torn. Uh, what's going to be happening with Mitchell Schwartz and then also defensively for Kansas City you mentioned Legereus Sneed going out with the concussion I was I've been very impressed with him over the course of the playoffs I'm sure Weston has a lot more to talk about yeah. in regards to Legereus Sneed uh, and, and what his availability may look like uh, but also not just Legereus Sneed but how about Juan Thornhill and he was a guy yeah. that you know from pro football focus was the top rated Chiefs defender in the game against the Buffalo Bills and you know he seemed to be making plays left and right. I know he didn't have a sack or anything like that. Um, but you know, we, we talked about it last week on the program about, you know, okay, what happens if guys like Richard Fenton and Bashad Breland are limited by injuries, who's going to step up Weston. You were the one that said, I'm interested to see what Juan Thornhill can do in this game. He showed up big time. So yeah. my question is going to be both offensive line and then also defensively going into the Super Bowl, what that's going to look like for Kansas city. The other thing I'll mention and, and Weston, you know, I, I know that I give you a hard time quite a bit. I know that I don't always give credit where credit is due. I know. Where's, I the, would, where's the accurate take horn? Just because you're not well, hosting, you can still use the accurate take horn. So uh, he, here's what I'll tell you. So I went back because I had an inkling that that this is what happened. I thought I remembered this correctly. Uh, I went back to a very old episode. It was all the way back in the month of April. And you predicted the Chiefs and the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. 
Wow. Way, way before the season even started, we were discussing Tom Brady going to Tampa. We were discussing Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement, going down to Tampa Bay. You predicted the Chiefs and the Bucks in the Super Bowl. I got to give you credit where credit is due. Way to go. Hey, I appreciate that. I, I mean, if you look at this, and, and I, I'm going to pivot back and talk about the defense before kind of moving forward and talking about the Bucs, but if you look at, the, at this Buccaneers roster, I mean, there is just a ton of talent on this team. I mean, you th- they were talented last year. Their defense was very good. They had great skills positions. They had a quarterback that could, could air the ball out but made a lot of mistakes. So then you all, all of a sudden plug, you know, one of the greatest quarterback of all time into that, even at the end of his career. And then they, you know, added to that defense and added to those skills positions, boy, you know, this roster is loaded and and they're definitely clicking at the right time, obviously. So um, they're, they're going to be a tall task, but, Going back to talk about a little bit about the defense from last week, because you're right, boy, the defense played just incredible. I mean, I I don't know if, you know, I would venture to say, I'm sure a lot of Chiefs fans are, you know, keep up. They know what's going on around the NFL, um, but maybe some don't. I don't think they appreciate how good the Bills offense has been really all season, but uh, particularly the, the, the last half of the season. I mean, for instance, I mean, if you just look at just, I mean, points scored this year, you know, they they had a, they scored 501 points all season, whereas the Chiefs only scored 473. And I know that's not a big difference, but, you know, I know we all place this in our heads, this high praise of the Chiefs offense, and rightfully so. Well, the Bills offense had been every bit as good, if not better, throughout the season, or maybe just more consistent. Um, so to see the defense do what they did, and, you know, we finally, finally, Tommy, we, we got one of those games that we've talked about out of out of the two big defensive linemen, you know, Frank Clark had two quarterback hits, he had two sacks, three total tackles, um, and then just the disruption of of Josh Allen. I mean, there was plenty of times where you saw him, you saw Chris Jones, uh, you saw Tano back there making Josh Allen uncomfortable, and he's a tough quarterback to sack. He's I kind of compared him during the game. I mean, he reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger, but with speed. I mean, you know, if you've watched Ben Roethlisberger's game, he's incredibly hard to sack, but and he moves well in the pocket. But it's for him, it's solely just to find a receiver down the field. He's not really going to run and pick. I mean, he can, but not really going to run and pick up a first down. Whereas Josh Allen can do both. He really moves. Hey, there were multiple times. There were multiple times, Weston, that I felt like, you know, yeah, Josh Allen is a good runner, but, you know, for whatever reason, the front four for Kansas City and even the, you know, the linebackers, they were coming at him. And in a lot of cases, like I remember saying this, uh, one one play with Chris Jones where I don't even know who was blocking him and he just like <laughs> to- he like tossed him out of the way and yeah. was just on the ground and Josh Allen is back there unblocked you're not going to get away from a guy like Chris Jones in, in in that regard you know and then of course the couple of the sack you know that one sack in particular where you know Allen should have went down immediately but he like lost another like 10 or 15 yards just mm. by being drugged back you know backwards um you know so yeah I I totally agree with you there were just some plays where yeah Allen is hard to he's hard to sack but if you're coming unblocked it's going to make it a lot easier yeah you know I mean that's exactly right so we I think we finally had kind of that moment right and whether like like you just mentioned right whether it's just doing the right things, putting yourself in the right position to be there, regardless of, you know, the way the line blocked or this or that. 
um, you know, th- those are the steps you're going to need again next week against Tom Brady, who doesn't move as well, but is much more effective than Josh Allen about getting the ball out of his hand as quickly as possible. You know, Josh Allen does, just doesn't get through the progressions the way Tom Brady does does and Josh Allen was effective because he could move around and still work through those progressions as he was moving out of the pocket. Tom's not going to do that. He's not going to move out of the pocket. He's not going to run around, but I mean, he's going through progressions one, two, three throw now. I mean that, you know, that's the difference you have with Tom Brady. He's just a lot harder to sack in that manner. Um, But going back to the secondary, because that's another thing, you know, I of course want to talk about Legereus Sneed and Juan Thornhill, but I want to start by giving credit uh, to both uh, Traverius Ward and Bashad Breland, who I think we kind of skip over sometimes just because we're enamored by, you know, how well Brett Veach did, I think, with, with drafting Legereus Sneed and then, you know, obviously Juan Thornhill being our, our young rookie from last year. Um, but Traverius Ward and Bashad Breland just continue to be so consistent throughout the year. Traverius Ward, you just don't hear his name called at all. And that is one of the biggest credits you can give right to a, to a defensive back is they're just, they're just not wanting to pick on him. And, and I think, I think teams continue to attack Legereus Sneed because he is the, the rookie. Um, but he just continues to hold his own and just play some incredible football, um, you know, and he himself, you know, I, th- I think the old honey badgers teaching him up, you know, uh, he had a, that uh, sack as well. So that was exciting to see. But uh, going back to one Thornhill, I think he is clicking at the most, I mean, obviously the most perfect time for the Chiefs, right? But he was working his way back from that ACL that he suffered uh, last year. And I think things are finally coming to him because you can see that the talent's there, the talent's been there all year. And I don't think it's a matter of, he had been beat out by anybody. I think they were just slowly bringing him back and, you know, probably have, have had some limited abilities with recovering from that, from that ACL. So, but this is, I mean, this is a unit that, that held, you know, Stefan Diggs to six catches and 77 yards. And I know that doesn't sound, you know, just mind blowing, but he's been incredibly solid all year. You got, you know, Cole Beasley had seven catches for 88 yards, but if you look at it, that's on nine targets. Tavon Diggs had 11 targets. They had to target Dawson Knox eight times, the tight end who they didn't don't use a whole lot just because there, you know, there wasn't anybody open. So, um, just incredible play, you know, out of the chief secondary couldn't be more impressed with, with how they finally clicked, I think. Um, so I, I know I'm kind of going long winded here, but let's, let's transition now. And I, and, and you, Tommy, you mentioned the offensive line and what we're looking for this week. So I think this is interesting because, and I'm glad Bray, Blake gave so much, you know, pointed out all the praise that has been for Eric Fisher as of late, because he is a guy who has just been given such a hard time by the chiefs fan base. And, and he didn't play well early in his career and he was the number one overall pick, right? I think we've all been there. Like, I don't, I don't think you can really be a chiefs fan and honestly say, Oh, I have never, you know, harped on Eric Fisher's play. That's just not realistic. I mean, he's the number one overall pick. It's right. Of and passage, it, just like them plenty about <laughs> Elvis Gerbach. That's right. It's just, and it's just going to come with that territory, but you know, the last five years, really maybe four years, he has played very, very, outstanding, solid, consistent football. And it is going to be a big loss against a Bucks defense who, you know, has Jason Pierre-Paul. They're going to be playing with Vita Vea this week, um, who, if I remember right, he broke his ankle against the Chiefs. Wasn't it like the first or second play 
maybe and maybe I just was watching a Bucks game and, and happened to catch the first, but I don't know why I'd be watching the Bucks if it wasn't against when they played against the Chiefs. But I think that's when he broke his ankle and he's back now, played every snap dang near every snap last week. So he'll play and he's incredibly good. And then of course we all know Dominic and Sue who can be just incredibly dominant. So Vitavea and and then I can sue coming up the middle. So that's kind of, uh, you know, I guess there is, I think that's going to be more your concern because it looks like we're going to see Mike Rimmers at left tackle. We're going to see Nick Algaretti at left guard. We'll see Austin Ryder at center. Obviously those two being consistent. They they've played there all year. Uh, Steven Wisniewski, who was part of the run last year, has been back on the team for a bit, will probably slide in to right guard, and Andrew Wiley will kick out to right tackle. And I think that's how they actually finished the game uh, last week uh, against the Bills. So I'm more, I think I'm more concerned about Steven Wisniewski and Austin Ryder, can, you know, having to consistently block him down to Kinsue and, um, Vita Vea than necessarily Mike Rimmers and Andrew Wiley seeing Jason Pierre Paul off the edge. So um, that's kind of where we're looking at. I think that is a big concern. At least I think the positive here, right, is you have seen so consistently the Chiefs be able to just plug and play an offensive line, which is not a typical thing to do, but they have just consistently been able to do that as guys have been injured and shuffled and they just seem to consistently get great play. So, uh, no reason to suspect anything otherwise. Super Bowl well, 55. Not, I, I do want to mention very quickly, sorry. Let's not forget about Shaq Barrett on this defense yeah. for the Buccaneers yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, I believe he intercepted Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I, I know he intercepted Aaron Rodgers on, on yeah. Sunday. So, you know, let's not forget about him either uh, at outside linebacker for the Buccaneers. They, they've got a lot of a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and so I think that's going to be a major challenge for Kansas City. So I know we'll talk more about it next week, but let's not forget about him. Super Bowl 55 on February 7th, 530 on CBS on February 7th at Raymond James Stadium, and it'll be the first time that the Super Bowl has been hosted by a team playing in the Super Bowl, so some history here. And by the way, Tom Brady uh, matching the career NFC championship total for Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees on Sunday, and we're going to have plenty of breakdown next week on that. So Chiefs fans, great week for you. Um, Everybody else, this is going to be a difficult last 30 or so minutes of the show because for college basketball fans down in our neck of the woods, this was not a good week Wait, at all. Blake, we begin. Blake, hold on. Before we transition to college basketball, I got a fun fact about you. You said the stat about first time a team has hosted the Super Bowl. So yeah. this is I got to give a shout out to my boss because he was texting me about this. Apparently, sometime in the 1980s, and I don't have the actual date, but the Rams – made the Super Bowl, which was being hosted in L.A., but at the Rose Bowl. So kind of a fun right. little caveat, right? So the Los Angeles Rams played in a Los Angeles Super Bowl, but not at their home stadium. So, I, you know, obviously keeps that, that stat true, but something that I don't – just a fun piece of trivia out there for anybody who, I don't know, wants a little talking point at the at the bar next week. Hopefully the Buccaneers will not be <laughs> the first home team to win a Super Bowl uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks. The Kansas State Wildcats are in a free fall. 69-47 losers to West Virginia, the number 14 Mountaineers, last time out. 14 turnovers for Kansas State in their first 
21 possessions. They had 17 points in the first half on 18 field goals attempted. That's a terrible night in the NBA for one player. That's what Kansas State did as a team. 18 turnovers in the first half. They had 28 turnovers in the game. Now, one thing that I have been reading is obviously Bruce Weber's seat has been warm the last few years. I don't know what the temperature is on it right now, but one thing that I did read and that I do believe, Kansas State is still playing hard. It would have been very easy to just totally give up on that game. Kansas State actually got back with an eight, and the defense that they played in that game was not terrible. against what They held West Virginia to under 70 points. So it, it wasn't a horrible day defensively. West Virginia scores 75 points per game, so they were held under their average by Kansas State. By the way, Kansas State is the worst defense in the Big 12. So I feel like the guys are still motivated to play for Bruce Weber, but at this point, they're just so far down the ranks in ev- almost every single major statistical category. Um, they will be taking on Baylor as we record this. They are about tipping off in 15 minutes against the number two Baylor Bears at the Ferrell Center down in Waco. Uh, Tommy, that was about the worst offensive half of basketball in college that I've, I may have ever seen from a power five school. It was atrocious. 28, 28, 28 turnovers, 28 (laughs) turnovers. That's so many. 28 turnovers in this basketball game for the Kansas state Wildcats. 28. I just need to keep saying that number over and over and over again. How about this? I know that you, you, you kind of threw these stats out before, but I just gotta, I gotta say this. How about, only attempting 18 shots and getting 17 points out of those 18 shots and turning the ball over 18 times in that stretch. They turned the ball over more in the first half than they did scoring points in the first half. <laughs> I so I, 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 I don't, I don't care what's going on. I don't care about motivation. I don't care about whether or not this team is, you know, is still gritty enough to go out and, and play for their coach, Bruce Weber. I don't care about any of that because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is, are you winning? And then even if you're not winning, are you competitive? Are, are, are you making it a game? Are you, are you giving fans a reason to tune in at this point? The answer is a resounding no for all of those questions for the Kansas State Wildcats. There is not a chance in hell that Bruce Weber keeps his job at the end of the really? season. There's not a chance. I, How mean, can I will you- say over the last four games, they have lost everyone by at least 15. Every How- single one. How, if you are Gene Taylor, the athletic director at, at Kansas State University, can you give your basketball coach a vote of confidence after this dumpster fire of a season at Kansas State? Now, again, I'm not going to come out here and say that Kansas State has this long storied history of success. They've had flashes of success over the years, but some Wildcat, under Coach Weber, some under Coach Weber. 
that that's true. But but this is a what have you done for me lately type league. That that's just the way that it is. And at the end of the day, Wildcat fans deserve significantly better than what they have gotten. Not just this season, but let's think about to last season when Kansas State finished at the bottom of the Big Twelve as well. This is not a just a new thing for the Wildcats. This is a continued decline of the program under Bruce Weber. I understand they didn't they they made a they made an elite eight run didn't they a few years ago yes, they did. Uh, under Bruce won Weber a Big 12 and championship they won a Big Twelve I, I I understand all of that but you know what there have been a lot of coaches that have done that exact same thing that are no longer coaching the team that they had their success with look at a guy um, you know I, I'm thinking of you know just. I don't know. There are all of these programs out there. Uh, the Texas program. Who was the coach for Texas for a long time, for a number of years? Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes, Rick Barnes was the yes, coach. Rick Barnes. Yeah. Rick Barnes was the coach at Texas for a long time. Had a significant amount of success over the years of the Longhorns. Texas. But it was the "What have you done for me lately?" And he hadn't delivered, and they ran him out of town. And now never won the there. Big Twelve. Not the tournament. Not regular season. A- incredible <clears> when you think of the players that he had there with Lamarcus Aldridge and uh, Kevin Durant. That they never won the Big Twelve. It, it seems impossible. I'm going to yeah, at the end of the day. Well, go go. I mean, I'm just going to finish up by saying at the yeah. end of the day. Bruce Weber has got to he he's got to understand, and I think he probably does. He's not a dumb guy. I think he's got to understand. Look, I know I'm trying to basically rebuild this program. I've got a bunch of young kids in here. I understand we're losing a lot of games, but it, there, there's there's a difference between losing a bunch of games while you're rebuilding and getting absolutely annihilated and blown out of the water, game in and game out. Losing to a D two school at the beginning of the season, they're getting ready to play Baylor, who is an outstanding basketball team they're going to get just absolutely railroaded by the bears i just don't see a scenario unless there's some miraculous turnaround and you know they can i don't know try to they can win a bunch of games at the last part of the big 12 regular season i just don't see how bruce weber can keep his job so i'm gonna play devil's advocate with the caveat that tommy i agree with you i i i cannot see a path in which he's back with kansas state next year but the expectations, and really my devil's advocate is really just in your comparison to Rick Barnes at Texas, because the expectations when you coach any athletic program at the University of Texas is going to be significantly different than the expectations when you coach at Kansas State University. Not to say, not to say that that fan base shouldn't call for that kind of excellence, but this is kind of what I've said in the past is, well, who do you think you're going to get that's better? But and the reason I agree with you now is what worse, how much worse can it get? Right. At this point, if I'm Kansas State and I think the fan base has to understand. Go back to Terry Asbury. That was pretty bad. Well, and there's there's always exceptions. Right. But, you know, and you could certainly I think the fan base just needs to have an expectation. And I think there's a lot of very educated and understanding fans that that have that have an understanding of, of where the program's at, what they can do. But when you go out and get a name that isn't a big name, and I say that with the caveat of, you know, of course, Kansas State's, they're not, they're not taking a bill self. They're not taking anybody away from a program, right? But going and getting a young guy or a, maybe even a, you know, maybe not a, a young coach, but someone that has done it at a smaller program and trying to have that replicate at Kansas State, I think is the path that they should do instead of trying and going and recycling a coach like they did. With I don't Bruce know. Weber, hey, right. Hey, he- 
But here's the thing: you gotta you gotta remember. I mean, I <clears throat> I remember the Jim Woldridge years, you know, where Those the, are bad the dude. Years. The dude was, I remember that, that last stretch of his tenure, he was wearing a neck brace on the sideline. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> his teams, his teams were losing left and right. It was, it was a down, the program was in a, in a downtrodden place at that time. Mm. They were able to go out and get Bob Huggins. I know Bob Huggins was only there for a year. I know he was coming off of, you know, drama at Cincinnati. That's why he left there. Uh, but they went out and got Bob Huggins for a year that turned into Frank Martin and they were able to, to, to start to rebuild that program. So, they can do the same thing right now. It just because the program's in a bad spot doesn't mean that Kansas state basketball is in a position where they're not going to have people that are going to be interested in that job who are high caliber candidates to be interested in that job. So I know that question is who are you going to get that's better? I think you could get a lot of people better than Bruce Weber who would be interested in coming and coaching basketball in Manhattan. Well, and I, I do think there's a difference, at least in my mind, you know, from what I'm telling you, I agree. I think they can get a high caliber coach. There's a difference between that and a big name. Like the flip side in Blake, Blake, calm down. I'm going to mention Les Miles in Kansas football. Oh, great. Yeah, let's, so, let's just circle it back around to KU football now. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, go but, ahead. But that, go ahead with this. Yeah, this is a hot take. Go ahead and spew this failed argument. But that's what I mean, right? By like Les Miles was, you I mean, you can't deny he was a big name, right? He was. And that, he was. That's the difference I mean. And, and absolutely, like, and I think of an example of high caliber was when Shaka smart was coming out of ECU like that, you know, look, that's a high caliber. And I guess he probably had a high name at the time. Um, but that's probably more the, the, the path I'm thinking for Kansas state than expecting, uh, you know, they're not, they're not hiring Rick Patino. He's not leaving. You know, I know he's over at the, uh, well, is he no, oh, yeah, that's, right, that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh yeah. He is back. Oh, I forgot about that's that. Right. Iona. He, Rick, Rick Patino's not coming to Kansas State. Like you're not pulling a guy like that, a scenario like that. But that doesn't mean you can't get a very high caliber, up and coming, or or even established that you know that's just not in a Power Five school to come to Kansas State and be incredibly successful. And I think to the point that you're making about you know keeping the momentum, to me that would be at least in my mind why I have switched on um, Bruce Weber keeping his job because look. Kansas State has had recent success. They had success with Bruce Weber, but prior to that, you can remember the Frank Martin years. You don't want to let Kansas State basketball get to a point like Kansas State, Kansas football, because once it is down there, it is so hard to bring it out because you don't, you don't get, you don't win without having high caliber recruits come in and you don't get high caliber recruits coming in without winning. So it creates a real vacuum, a real circle of how to ever get yourself out of that. So that would be a, a good reason. I think for Kansas state to move on from Bruce Weber would be to strike, you know, while you do still have some right name recognition, there's going to be plenty of recruits coming out that remember any of the years between Michael Beasley and, and, you know, Dean Martin, um, or <laughs> Dean Martin. Dean Martin. Dean Martin. Wow. <laughs> Correction and retraction. Dean Wade? How about that? Hey, well, there you go. A little better. But well, hey, I, would uh, love to, I would love to watch <laughs> Dean Martin play basketball for Kansas State. He'd be the smoothest coach. I bet he, I bet he could recruit to Kansas State. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. So, you know, I think with that, perfect time to let me say, all right, there's my take on Kansas State. There you go. And I don't know uh, if there's other- much more else to have. 
one other correction and retraction. I think I said Terry Asbury. It's Tom. Tom Asbury was the coach at Kansas State. Uh, I mean, just to put a button on that, uh, they're the worst shooting team. They're the worst field goal percent defense. They're the worst at the three-point differential. They're one of the worst free-throw shooting teams, worst offense, worst defense in the league, and they're second worst in rebounding offense, third worst in rebound margin. That's how bad Kansas State I do want to say, though, credit to Kansas State where credit is due. They are not the worst team in the Big 12. That goes to the Cyclones of Iowa State. How far have has Iowa State fallen? Yeah, I can't crazy. see... I can't see Steve Prone keeping his job at the end of this season. Here's the they thing. Got, uh, but I was just going to say the year, they, before the year, the, the, the whole, the, the, there was a narrative that you can't fire a coach this season because of coronavirus. Nah. Nah. As it sounds like, nah. no, not for Tommy. He has no heart. Nah. He doesn't care about these families. Get him out. It, do, it doesn't the, the the coronavirus uh, unless it's it's affecting players on the team and you're you're playing short. It has at Kansas State. It has. It has at Kansas State, but it, but it, in every other aspect, it doesn't really impact the game on the floor. I know it ha- it does a little bit here and there, but here's a here's an example of that. It's got to go both ways. So Iowa State played Oklahoma State earlier this week. And Oklahoma State was without Cade Cunningham due to COVID nineteen protocols. Oklahoma State still won that game by twenty one. So it goes it goes both ways. I mean, you know, they Iowa State was kind of handed a little bit of a gift and an opportunity. Hey, they get to play against the Cowboys without Cade Cunningham. Didn't really matter. They still lost the game by twenty one. So, uh, but I do have to say, I just mentioned, you know, like I said, at least Kansas State is not the worst team in the Big Twelve at this point. They they are not. That is true. Kansas State, as we mentioned, as we're rec- Recording this on Wednesday, they are getting set to tip off in five minutes at the number two Baylor Bears. Did you on guys, to Wichita? Oh, did go you guys ahead. See, did you guys see the spread on that game? No, I'm sure no. it's like twenty five. Well, okay, twenty five. What's your guess, Tommy? Uh, twenty eight. Twenty three and a half. So Ooh, pretty, yeah. pretty good. Pretty good. That's a lot of points. That's, yeah, a, lot that's of a lot points. of points. <laughs> uh, the Wichita State basketball, a loss at Memphis last time out, 72-52 by far the Shockers' worst offensive night of the season, 20 of 68 from the field, 2 of 23 from the three-point line, 56% from the foul line. They did not guard the three-point line well at all. They allowed 11 three-pointers against the Tigers. That's the second most the Shockers have given up this year. And the two main guys that we thought about coming into the year offensively, Dexter Dennis and Tyson Etienne, they combined to go four for 35 from the field. And it combined, Dexter Dennis was two of 15. He's two of 15 from the three-point line over his last three games. Three for 23 from the field over his last three games. Etienne was one for 12 against the Tigers. Didn't hit a three. It was his third time under 10 points. And to make matters worse, they're supposed to be playing Cincinnati right now. That game has been postponed due to coronavirus protocols. This team has been dealt such a tough blow with the stop and start season that they have had and with this loss against Memphis, they've got to make up ground to get back into that NCAA tournament 
picture. They were in the picture in bracketology from Joe Lenardi a couple of weeks ago, being the, in the next four out. But there's so little time. They now have so many games that they have tr- got to try to get back on the calendar. They still haven't even put that ECU game back on the calendar yet for Wichita State. So next up for them, Central Florida on Saturday, 3 p.m. at Charles Coke Arena. Um, you know, but another stoppage in this season for Wichita State, and they really can't afford to be missing games. They need to play games to play their way back into March. Look, I, I'm less concerned about the, the loss against Memphis on the road. I am. I, I am as well. I think Memphis is a pretty underrated team. They're a really good team. They're second in the American Conference right now. This is not like the Shockers, you know, lost to Tulane, you know, or East Carolina or something like that. I mean, I agree. Memphis is Memphis is a top tier American team. I know that it wasn't a particularly close game. I know the Shockers, you know, lost by twenty. I know it wasn't ideal, especially considering the run that the Shockers have been on as of late. That being said, I'm less concerned about what happened earlier this week against Memphis. And I, I kind of like what you said, I'm more concerned about this stop and start that the Shockers have had to deal with the last few weeks. It's hard to get in a, in a momentum. It's hard to get into a routine when, you know, one game is on, the next game is off. One game is on, the next game is off. Now, you would think ideally that it would give the Shockers more of an opportunity to practice and and whatnot. I'm sure it does because you know these stoppages uh, are are not involving the Shockers. It's not COVID issues within the Shocker program. It's with their opponents, and that's why these postponements are happening. But that being said, it's a situation where I just think it's hard to continue to to stay. Uh, I don't know if motivated is the right word, but it's hard to stay engaged, locked in when you've got you know all these stoppages. And, and starting back up. And so I, I agree with you, especially in a situation where Wichita State is doing everything that they can to try to build a tournament resume um, with not a whole lot of games to choose from. We've talked about it on previous episodes. They need every game possible. And so hopefully these games are going to be made up. Um, it's really going to hurt the Shockers if, especially a game against a team like Cincinnati, uh, who I know is down a little bit this year, but, but a game uh, against a name like Cincinnati doesn't end up being made up. So hopefully that happens. You know, the other thing I, I I'm almost to the point guys, I, I, in, aside from winning the American Conference Tournament, I'm just not sure I see a path in which Wichita State makes it into the tournament at this point. And I think it's in part dealt by, I mean, like we've talked about, just the schedule that they have. But so here's, let's see, look, let's look at the remaining schedule. They've got two against Tulane. They've got UCF. They've got Tim, uh, two, two against UCF. Uh, Temple, they've of course got number six, Houston. That would go a long ways. But as we talk about, they should be favored in all those games except for Houston so far. Right. Uh, So then they've also got uh, SMU twice, East Carolina, um, then one against. Should be twice. That other game should be put back on the schedule. And the conference said that that will be made up as a doubleheader in Wichita if ECU can't find a game to play, a date to play against. Wichita State, that'll be a Friday, Saturday, or a Saturday, Sunday doubleheader in Wichita at Coke Arena because that was a game that was supposed to be played in Wichita that they lost due to ECU's coronavirus protocols. So essentially you're looking at, I I mean, really what you're looking at is, you know, Houston and Memphis left on the schedule that it would be something to put on the resume to really show the folks, you know, 
what they what they can bring in in, in that bracket committee that hey that, that they're worthwhile of of adding in. I'm just not sure that I'm I'm seeing that even even with those two wins. Now Houston would go a long ways, but Mem- then beating Memphis also depends on how Memphis continues to play throughout the year. Because if they stumble one or two, well then that doesn't provide you a quality win. Um, you know, to really put yourself in that conversation, even with beating Houston. So I'm just afraid that it, it might be a, a too little too late in part by the way that their schedule has just dealt this to them, which is just, you know, it is unfortunate, but you know, ultimately Wichita state is a program. And I think most of the fan base, that's what they care about. Right. I mean, they, this is a team that you, they expect, they want to be in that tournament every single year. And I'm just not sure that it's going to happen this year. Yeah, so far, you've got, just looking at their schedule, at Tulsa was postponed. Does not look like that's been made up. Uh, Let's see, the ECU game we already talked about. They had the road game at Memphis. That's been postponed. And uh, South Florida, that was supposed to be a home game. That is not on the schedule. So for Wichita State, I, I agree with you. I think they have the talent to make it. I think that they can make it, but they're going to have to get some of these games played. I And I also agree with Tommy. Probably my, of the three teams that we cover on this show primarily, I think that that was the least concerning you know, week that was had. On to the University of Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, by the way, the Knights of Central Florida, uh, that game is on the U, and you can, of course, listen to it here locally on KYN. Charles Cook Arena, 3 p.m. tip-off for the Shockers in Central Florida on Saturday. The Jayhawks are on a three-game losing streak, losing to Oklahoma 75-68. to This may be uh, an unpopular opinion with the guy adjusting his headphones right now. I'm not as concerned as maybe you guys are about three straight losses. And here is why. You look at where the Big 12 is right now in terms of its overall conference strength. I believe that this is the best conference in the country. Now, if you want to be a Big 10 homer out there and yell at me and say, what about Michigan and Iowa at the top of our league and Illinois and Wisconsin and Ohio State, that is a valid discussion and a valid point. You may be right, but... If you look at the teams in the Big 12 right now that KU has played to and lost to, do we all agree that Baylor's a good team? Sure. I think we agree Baylor's a great team. Do we all agree that Texas is a great team? I think Texas sure. is a really good team. Uh, the, you know, KU has a road win at what I think is a really good Texas Tech team. Oklahoma is 20th in Ken Palm right now. They're 10-4 and four on the year. Oklahoma is not a bad team at all. West Virginia is a great team. Oklahoma State, probably the worst loss of the year for Kansas. They're 31st and 10-4 and four in Ken Palm right now. Okay, So it's not like KU is losing to teams that are 70-plus in these national rankings that teams in – into that, I should say, members of the selection committee, they look at these rankings, okay? They're interested in these rankings. They pay attention to Haslam Metrics and Pomeroy. These aren't just these fringe websites you can get on for free. You have to pay to get on them now because they're so widely accepted as being great basketball resources. Yes, KU is in a slide, but you know, at, at this point, I'm not as concerned about I'm not as concerned about the three-game losing streak. I am concerned about the defense because right now, and Bill Self said it on Hawk Talk earlier this week, 
He said, we don't have anybody who can guard the ball other than Marcus Garrett right now. And Garrett was tremendous in that KU game down at the LNC with 21 points, 12 rebounds. By the way, in what planet does Marcus Garrett get 12 of 26 KU rebounds? How does that happen? How is that possible? The, 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 it was not a good game for the KU front court at all. Um, they play tomorrow, KU does, against TCU. But I, I'm not hitting the red panic button yet. KU has been playing a gauntlet of a schedule. I'm not hitting the red panic button yet either. Uh, but where I am at right now is kind of, I think, where Bill Self is. And it's the, this team in its current state can't continue. It just can't. They cannot continue to do what they've been doing and expect success. Uh, that's just not the way that it works. They need a refresh. They need a reset. They need to find the guys who are going to lead this team down the stretch in the Big 12 regular season and into the tournament. Here's the thing, guys, is, you know, when you're a KU fan, when you follow the Jayhawks, you guys know this just as well as I do. You start thinking about other things as opposed to just wins and losses. Like you start to think about, okay, where is KU going to be when the tournament comes around? Like what line are they going to be? Are they going to be a three seed? Are they going to be a four seed? How, you know, what's it going to look like if they continue to lose? You know, what if they, what if they get three or four more losses in the big 12, then where are they going to be when the tournament comes around? You think about that. I also think a little bit about, man, when was the last time that Kansas wasn't ranked in the AP top 25? You know, they're down to number okay, 15 that's, right that's now. A little, that's a little premature. That's, a, that's slightly it, premature. It doesn't. I'm not saying that it's going to happen next week, but you drop down to number 15, you start thinking about, all right, there's only 10 spots to go before you're out of the poll altogether. And let's not assume that any team is immune to that. Look at Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, all out of the AP top 25 poll right now for the first time since the Kennedy administration. So let's yeah. not think that Kansas is somehow immune to some of these things that we haven't even thought about for a long time potentially happening. So what it comes down to is Bill Self needing to make adjustments, needing to refresh this team. I don't know, get a shot of adrenaline in the arms of these players. Find the lineup that, that works right, because otherwise we're going to continue to see more of the same from this Jayhawk squad down the stretch. So I'm kind of all over my all over the place on my my thoughts on on this team, because panic is not the right word, certainly. Um, but Correct. again, like you mentioned, Tommy, the expectations of Kansas basketball are different, right? So. Big winning the Big Twelve, which is the just an expectation every single year, that's not happening this year. Like that, if if that yep. if if that's the lens you're looking through, then I think you can go ahead and hit the panic button on that. I don't think that's the right approach though, because like you mentioned, right? Like they're going to make the tournament ultimately. You know, while the continued success of winning Big Twelves is is part of the story of this program. Winning a national championship is what's on the mind of, of these players, on the mind of Bill Self, on a majority of the fan base. So that's kind of the road you're looking at. Um, but so then going from there, kind of analyzing this team and thinking about, you know, what's happening, what's going on, wh where can they go? I do feel like this is a team and it's kind of a flip from what we're usually on the other end of this being that this is a team that at any moment, I, I absolutely do believe they've got the talent that they, if they get hot, 
there's not a team in the, in the country that they couldn't beat, but we're not even close to seeing any type of consistency out of that. But when, when, you know, Jalen Wilson gets hot, when Ochai gets hot, when Christian Brown gets hot, and there's no reason all those guys can't be hot at the same time, there just isn't um, that scoring mechanism with, with Marcus Garrett playing incredible defense and, you know, two bigs that, are very competent. There's no reason why they couldn't beat any team in the country. Now we just have not seen even a blip of that out of these guys, right? Like we're not, we haven't seen that, that they can all put it together at the same time. Um, and then on the flip side, they're just bad defensively, right? So they're just not, not good. playing right. They're just not playing good, good defense. There's been a lot of breakdown. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter of just like completely out of place, just a lack of understanding of where you should be, on the floor defensively. But at the same time, we're also, I, I think there's a combination of lack of awareness of defense, lack of just effort on defense, and then just some bad luck too. So uh, this is a stat that I find interesting. Last five games, Texas, TCU, OU, Oklahoma State, Baylor, opponents are shooting 79% from the free throw line and 42% from three, which is way above league average. So you would certainly expect for all the, the analytic nerds out there, there, there will just be some natural regression on the way opponents are shooting. Again, part of that based on the way Kansas is playing defense, part of that based on really just bad luck of, of having a team be hot at, you know, at the wrong time for us. So I think there's a lot to dissect, but, but ultimately, like you said, the talent is there. I think maybe the question is now – is the talent going to click and figure it out this year? Or is this something that we're looking at that, Hey, the talent's there and they're all coming back next year. Like it might take that, that next off season to get really get things clicking for this team to, to really unlock what potential they have with the talent that's on this roster. I would say that defensively for Kansas right now, uh, they're just average. If you, if you look, I really think there are only two elite defensive teams in the big 12 right now, Texas tech, and Baylor. And then you've got Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, TCU that are right around there in the mid 60s in terms of points per game allowed. Um, so I, I think that KU is, they're just fine. And on offense, they're 76 points per game, fifth. They're just fine. And obviously, that's not what we expect Kansas to be. And, and let's not, you know, let's not, you know, pull. I guess give up too early would be the best way to say it. I mean, the 1988 Jayhawks team, they were 12 and eight at one point. And at that point they were talking about, are we going to miss the NCAA tournament? We're going to go to the NIT. They ended up winning the whole thing. And the 2012, 2013 team, which according to Bill Self could not beat the Topeka YMCA. uh, They ended up winning 12 of 13 and would have made the elite eight. If not for the luckiest three point, shot in the history of Michigan basketball, they would have been in the Elite Eight. So, uh, oh, by the way, just a quick note, Ochai Abaji, Jerry West shooting guard, top 10 award candidate. So, TCU, this game is on Thursday. That'll be tomorrow or today as you're listening to this after we drop this. So I'll leave you guys with this before we get to our Wichita whip around. Coach Self kind of intimated that he might be tweaking the starting lineup, and that's been something he's been looking at practice this week. He said that they've had good practices. He's told He told Brian Haney on Hot Talk that they've had really good practices uh, this week. He's been excited about the energy and that they've been doing an evaluation of who they want to have starting and what roles people are going to be playing going forward into Texas Christian. Do you guys see a major turnaround and a major change in the starting lineup? 
Yeah, I think you have to. And, and you know, again, kind of like I said before, you know, the only way that this team is going to be able to refresh themselves a little bit is to get, you know, some fresh legs out on the court. And that can be, you know, for a variety of reasons. It could just be, you know, the I've always said a college basketball season is like a long marathon. It is an normal season, but especially in a COVID scenario where these teams are isolated, they're in a bubble, you know, for lack of a better term, they only see each other. It can be a mental an emotional grind. Now that again, that you got to win when you're on the court, but at the end of the day, that can all be contributing into maybe a lack of energy or a lack of focus or, or whatever the case might be. So I think that, yeah, I think it's going to be important to have a breath of fresh air in the starting lineup, at least for this game against TCU. And let's, let's be honest, if you're going to have kind of a refresh TCU is as good of a team to to do that as any. I mean, they're they're a bottom tier Big Twelve team right now, uh, and and you're playing back at home, you know. And so I think that helps you out a little bit. It's the first time that the Jayhawks have played at home since early January, you know. So I think that that will help out a little bit. But I wouldn't be surprised to see guys like Dewan Harris. Uh, maybe Tristan and Aruna, um, you know, crack their way into the starting lineup. I definitely think that we see Ochai Abaji stay in the starting lineup. Coach Self made it pretty clear that out of everyone, he appreciated Ochai's energy and enthusiasm the most uh, out of everybody from the team. So I, I, I don't. I think that's a given that you're going to see him continue in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, but then from there, I think it's just going to be a matter of you know who are those guys that Coach Self said uh, it, during hockey talk that he was really happy with, really happy with their output. I think those will be the guys that he will give the minutes to. At this point, you got to try something because as soon as you're done with the TCU game, all of a sudden it's the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Uh, the, the Jayhawks are going on the road to take on Rick Barnes and, and Tennessee. <laughs> you know, and then they, they do- well, exactly. And then it's not like, you know, it gets so, a lot easier for the Jayhawks. I mean, they do have two games against the Wildcats, two games against the Cyclones left. So that'll help. But they're also, they still have a game against Baylor. They still have a road game against Texas. They have a road game against West Virginia left, you know, so it, it, it does continue to be tough for, for the Jayhawks. So now is a great time, in my opinion, for Bill Self to start to try to figure out who are we going to ride with down the stretch? I'm not suggesting that this is the answer, but I am curious if you see Bill Self try a two-post look. I mean, he's ran such an effective, you know, two-post system for the longest time and really likes that four-out, one-in, what he's been doing over the last few years. I, I mean, I, I really like Mitch Lightfoot, and, and I'm not even suggesting that him playing more is any type of answer to what's going on. But just, I mean, if you're talking about major mix-ups to what they're doing, and if he's frustrated with guards and the way they're defending, I mean, I think a, a potential answer would be, why not go with the traditional lineup, put Mitch Lightfoot in the four? You've seen that he moves so much better than um, McCormick does, so should be able to guard other teams, you know, four, which is traditionally a big man. I know the game of basketball is kind of shifting just in a different direction in general. Um, my only qualm or, or hesitation about thinking that this might be a possibility of what bill does. And I, and I guess I'm also saying it through the lens of at times, I'm not suggesting they're going to try to run this as an offense moving forward or anything like that, but they don't, I mean, there's just no depth after McCormick and, um, Mitch Lightfoot, unless they're seeing things from Jethro Muscadin, or, or I might be not pronouncing that right in practice, but I just I don't think that that's the case. So I think if you do see a two post 
lineup, two big man lineup, it would just be for blips throughout the game, right? I mean, maybe you'd get a five, six minute stretch and that even might be too much of maybe David and, and Mitch. But I, you know, I, and I think those almost something like that could almost be used effectively just in a sense of like, just like you throw in the zone defense, right? I mean, just at times, just to make the other team adjust to what you're doing, you know, that's just thoughts in my heads. Again, I'm not suggesting that's the answer. I'm just wondering, here's maybe something that they could look at that, that is a major shift to what they're doing. Um, but ultimately I think, I think this team's going to be fine. Um, there's still a ton of talent and, and frankly, it's a weird thing to say, cause it's not what you're used to at the university of Kansas, but there's a ton of talent and a ton of talent's going to be coming back next year. Quite possibly everybody will be coming back next year. And, um, that just, I mean, this team would be loaded going into into next season. Jayhawks hosting the Horned Frogs 7 p.m. And for those of you who are high rollers in the listening audience, so what, like 2%, 4%? You can see the game on ESPN+. Plus. The game is on the Mothership 5 p.m. on uh, Saturday at Tennessee in the SEC Big 12 Challenge and the Dillon's Sunflower Showdown coming up on February 2nd next week. So not getting any easier for Kansas State. We wrap up the show today with our Wichita whip around. What you need to know as a Wichita fan that maybe you haven't covered. I asked the guys to each come with at least one story to share with you today as we wrap up this show uh, of the Keeper of the Games. I'm going to start with Wichita State Volleyball. The Shockers playing a spring schedule. They did not get to play a fall schedule, obviously. They ran some scrimmages. They have started 3-0 on the year with wins against South Dakota, Oral Roberts, and at Missouri State. Nicole Anderson leading the Shockers with 37 kills, 43.5 points, hitting 284 for the Shocks. And I think it's really exciting because Sina Uluwave, who was pretty involved in the offense last year, is one of the team leaders in digs and Wichita State is able to win without her having a lot of swings right now. They haven't been setting her as much as she is accustomed to. She ended up with like 150 kills, I think, last year as a freshman. They are having a black and yellow scrimmage right now that is going on. It started at 7 o'clock at Charles Cook Arena. They are allowing 2,000 fans in and they will have a home opener coming up uh, I think on the third and the or the fourth and the fifth of February, seven p.m. on the fourth, one p.m. on the fifth for the home opener. So if you're not able to get into a, a Shocker basketball game, but you want that college atmosphere, if you are a Shocker fan, you really ought to go and check out Wichita State Shocker volleyball as they host North Texas and look to stay undefeated on the year. Yeah. So my Wichita whip around topic for uh, the day. I want to give a huge shout out to the Wichita Wings soccer team. Uh, it's a squad that we have not talked about one time on this program. Uh, I bring very course, little soccer expertise to the program. I will admit that right now. Well, so do I. But uh, you know, the, the Wings are uh, they're they're playing great to kick off their season inside Hartman Arena. They've been able to do that in front of a limited number of fans. They are three and zero to start the season, and they are the Heartland Invitational champions. Uh, they beat a, a handful of different teams. They beat uh, the Omaha Kings. Uh, they also beat the Colorado Inferno uh, to win that tournament. Uh, and so also FC Amarillo, they were in that tournament as well. Uh, and so congratulations to the Wichita Wings. Of course, they uh, are back in action. I believe this is their second season 
uh, as an as an affiliated team uh, in service playing again uh, at Hartman Arena. So they beat the Colorado Inferno, their first matchup of the season, won that game nine to two. A lot of talent on that uh, on that squad, and so the fact that they start the season three and zero, you got to be uh, got to be pretty happy if you're a soccer fan in Wichita. All right, boys. So you all know how much I overachieve on this podcast. So I came with two stories. Good. Uh, I, I have plenty, plenty of stories. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead with your first one. Okay. So first, uh, we've talked a lot about you know uh, the ability of fans to attend sports games. You know, here in the Wichita Metro for for the prep. Um, so Wichita USD two five nine has made a change to their athletic ticket policy. Uh, the school district has they made a change uh, beginning January 29th. Students participating in the sport can offer two tickets to parents, guardians, siblings, or friends of the family, which previously those tickets were limited to just parents or guardians only. Um, this change doesn't apply to swimming or bowling just due to the, the venues that they're hosting those events at. But I think this is awesome. You know, I, I, I think a small thing that gets overlooked how often, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, kids out there maybe a lot is not the right way to say it but i think there's kids out there that you know the person who's closest to them the person who shows them attention that comes to these games isn't always a you know a parent or a guardian sometimes it is an aunt an uncle a grandma a grandpa you know someone who maybe is not the actual guardian of these children so to have that that opportunity for them to be able to come and, and support the kids and the kids to have whoever that most meaningful you know person is or maybe mom and dad just can't make the game and they still want someone there to support them and now aunt and uncle can come or or the neighbor that's close can come i, I think that's just so cool so i'm glad that that they've made this change and that will go into effect on january 29th now my second story oh, oh, oh you know, go, go ahead go for it well, I was going to say, we got a couple of uh, other basketball games that are going on today. The Shocker women ended a six-game losing streak. They beat Cincinnati today. Uh, five games during the stretch, by the way. We talked about the Shocker men and how their schedule has been ravaged by coronavirus. In this stretch, the Shockers have had five games either postponed or canceled. SMU canceled their season, by the way, a few weeks ago. And the Shockers beat Cincinnati. First ever win against Cincinnati, 60-52. to outscoring the Bearcats 18-9 in the third. Asia Strong leading the Shockers 15 points per game. She went for 17 in this game. And the Kansas women, this goes back to last week, Kansas State blew a 14-point first-half lead. KU stormed back to win the Sunflower Showdown 70-63. Kansas is 6-5, and 2-3 and three in the Big 12. They have not finished outside of the bottom two in the Big 12 standings since 2013 when they went 20-14, and 8-10. And, and all but one loss this year is by 10 points or less. They are currently trailing 59-52 in the third period at Oklahoma, a game in which KU has trailed by as many as 14. And by the way, what the what happened to Oklahoma? Sherry Cole. The Sooners are four and seven, one and five. By the way, Jackie Styles is an assistant on our coaching staff. They were comp- they were competing for national championship games. It seemed like yesterday, and now they're just not good. They are beating Kansas, but right now, not very good down there in Oklahoma. Hopefully, KU can pull this one out on the road. Okay, so perfect. Uh, this is perfect time to segue into my second story here. We had talked about Tommy that we have not hardly covered girls prep basketball. That's something that we wanted to do, right? So my second story is a shout out, and hopefully I'm going to get this name right, but Corinna Gerber from the Halstead Dragons dropped 40 
uh, la- uh, wow. so be Tuesday night or last night as we're recording this podcast Tuesday night over Rose Hill. Uh, Corinna Gerber, wow. I think if I my understanding, I read the story. I think she's a, a junior at, at Halstead there, and they're the, I think they're the number two team, um, you know, in their in their division. But so they got me thinking, and I, and I want to parlay this into a little bit of trivia for you guys. You know, forty points—that's a lot in girls in girls high school basketball. You know, those scores just don't get up as high as as the men, or then obviously even the even men's prep basketball doesn't get as high as you move into college and NBA, of course. Do you guys know who has scored the high the most points in a single game in Kansas women's prep basketball history? One, I would two, guess Jackie Styles. I was going to say Jackie Styles. Perfect segue because you just dropped her name. And then two, I want you both to take a guess at what that single game record is. Uh, God, do I know this? Uh, I'm going to go with 79. I don't even have a guess. I think Blake's going to be better than I will be anyway. 71. That's incredible. Wow. 71. <laughs> 71 is a lot of points. My God. I, yeah, so that's uh, that's my fun Kansas girls uh, prep basketball update and shout out. And, and I apologize. I don't know if Karina Gerber, if this podcast will make it to her ears, but I hope I pronounced <laughs> your name right. So big shout out on, on 40 over Rose Hill. That's a, that's a great game. They get Spotify at Halstead. Do they not? <laughs> I'm sure they do. I mean, I'm sure yeah, they do. so they, they got the podcast for sure. Hey, Blake, I got one more story. Since Weston came with two, I've got a second one, and that is the Wichita State baseball team released their schedule on Wednesday. Big news. Dropped their schedule. 29 home games at X Stadium for this season for Eric Wedge's team. And uh, I am super excited to see what Shocker baseball looks like this year. If you'll remember back to last season, they started their season 13 and two under first year head coach Eric Wedge before COVID-19 canceled the season. And one of my favorite things uh, of all time, and I know it's going to be different this year due to COVID, but I love February baseball at X Stadium. It's always freezing cold. You're bundled up. Um, There's just something about it. I don't know why I like it so much. College baseball in February always makes me really, really happy. But of course, they're playing 32 American Conference contests. There'll be four game series over a three day span. So one day will be double headers. They've got a home game against in-state rival K-State and road series at Arizona, who is uh, a Pac-12 baseball power and perennial NCAA qualifier Stetson. So it's quite a, a schedule this season for Eric Wedge and the Shocker baseball squad. Not only that, but they've got an eight-game series scheduled against Houston. That has to be a record. I've never heard of an eight-game series ever in in college baseball. And the really exciting thing about this Shocker baseball team, remember, they finished 10-0. and zero. That's, that's no losses at, at X Stadium last year for Eric Wedge. They were ranked, I think, 30th in the country when the season ended. They've got their two best hitters back. Cooper Kornblum led the team hitting 354. Hunter Gibson hit 316 last year Uh, it's a junior and freshman so they'll be a sophomore and senior respectively i believe the classifications 
I'm not sure what the classifications are because I think that that actually turned out to be a give back year for baseball. And I don't think that this spring season will be a give back year. The eligibility is so screwed up. I, I can't keep track of it. But those are two guys, one of them, Cornbloom, a real young guy who I think has got a chance to maybe be one of the top freshmen in the American Conference. Uh, he had an OPS of 1,117 last year. So pretty amazing. So we'll wrap up the whip around with Wichita Thunder Hockey. Have you been keeping track of these guys on the ice? They beat Indy 2-1 Sunday. They're 7-2-1 on the season. Indy, by the way, was leading the Eastern Division. Wichita is second in the West, fourth in the league. Mateo Gennaro, 13 points in 10 games with six goals and seven assists. And Evan Wenninger is the number three goaltender and Bobby McCann, 13 points in 10 games. He's leading all rookies. So there is a lot to be excited about if you're a Wichita Thunder fan. They have had a couple of seasons that have been rather disappointing back when they were, you know, if you have been following them, they made back-to-back CHL finals series. I don't even remember what it's called. Malzi was going to kill me in my sleep for not knowing that. <laughs> But uh, they were a central hockey power, kind of had fallen off, but obviously playing extremely well on the ice here uh, to start the, the 2021 season finally. Yeah, and hats off to head coach Bruce Ramsey and the Thunder squad. Not only did they beat Indy 2-1, to one, Blake, but their previous four games were postponed due to COVID-19. We talked about yes, it that's right. last you know, last week on the program about how Sedgwick County designated the Thunder as a COVID-19 active cluster. And so they had four games postponed, called off. They were 6-2-1 and one. when that happened. They come right back out after two weeks off. Their last game was January 10th at home against Kansas City, which was a win. They come back out after that two-week hiatus, and they beat Indy 2-1 to one to move to 7-2-1. and one. Of course, their uh, their schedule continues. They're playing back at home this weekend against Rapid City for a three-game set inside Interest Bank Arena. So, uh, yeah, again, hats off to the entire Thunder squad for overcoming uh, that that COVID cluster, that hiatus, that time off, and coming out with the victory. That's pretty awesome. That's going to be our show here. Before we wrap up, guys, any corrections or retractions that you'd like to make before we say goodbye? Uh, I've got a- I do, and actually... Oh, go ahead. I, I, I was just going to ask a question. Did you did you tell me that there was a Wichita State baseball player named Cooper Cornbloom? Cooper Cornbloom, yes. That's a baseball name right there. Cooper Cornbloom. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, he from uh, Woodway, Texas, a freshman, and uh, he had 12 RBIs in 15 games last year, 17 hits. He slugged 625, and I got a chance to call one of his games uh, on television, and I watched a lot doing the public address. I mean, this guy is a player. This is guy first- is going to be a really good infielder. Does he play first base? No, not a first. Oh. A 5'11", 5'11", 174 kind of oh, guy. That Middle is, okay. I was picturing, I mean, Cooper Cornbloom. I was not thinking like 6'4", no. 250. Okay. No. I love the name, though. That's a baseball name. He hit name, power, right though. He had three triples in 15 games last year as a freshman. Love I mean, it. can you wrap your head around that? There are guys who will go an entire career in college yeah. and only have three triples. He had three triples. Now, uh, 
Garrett Kosas, he had four triples last year. The Shockers were a triple manufacturing machine. They had nine triples as a team in 15 games, which is preposterous. But yeah, they, this is going to be a really exciting time. With and I know you guys have seen the facilities that they've put in, the new strength training facilities. I, I feel like Shocker baseball is poised to make a, a big comeback. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I actually, the, the nice thing about not hosting the show, Blake, is that I can actually go through and I can, I can find some of the things that I need to correct uh, sure. about the show. Uh, Cause I can't do that when I'm actually hosting it. So uh, this isn't a correction, uh, but it is a, it is a clarification. You were correct. The last team to repeat as back-to-back Super Bowl champions, the new England Patriots, you said the early two thousands, you were correct. 2003, 2004, that was the last time a team won two Super Bowls back-to-back and then actually a correction to make for myself. Uh, I said that Shaquille Barrett for the Buccaneers had an interception uh, in the game against the Packers. He did not, but he did have several sacks in that game. In fact, uh, I think he had He's two or three good. sacks in that in that game. So I, I, I mistook uh, an interception for a sack, but uh, that's my that's my only correction. I don't know. You guys have any? I any also other have correction? a correction. I think I conflated Dexter Dennis and Tyson Etienne's field goals for the last game. Dexter Dennis three for. 23 from the field, two for 15 on his own over the last three games, not combined with Tyson Etienne. And we've talked about Dexter Dennis. Not the only thing that he does is shoot for Wichita State. He has not shot the ball well this year, but he plays tremendous defense because Coach Brown has talked about that ad nauseum about how important he is. And I've seen how important he is defensively. So not trying to make him into a one-dimensional player, but uh, looking at his stats, three for 23, but that's over the last three games just on his own. So that is our show. Once again, if you want to follow us, we are at CogPod on Twitter, cogsports.com. If you dare watch on YouTube, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button on whatever podcast platform or on YouTube, on Facebook. It helps us out a ton. And I am at B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S-B-E-Crips on Twitter. Tommy and Weston, give the people your Twitter handles if they want to follow you. Yeah, you can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. I'm over here at WMills94. Obviously, next week is going to be very Chiefs heavy. Super Bowl 55, our official preview, comes at you next week as we get set for Kansas City and Tampa Bay at the Super Bowl. That's our show. We'll see you next week. This is Keeper of the Games in Wichita. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.